Welcome to the CTO Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's chief technology officers. Looking to discover what it takes to succeed as a CTO? Then sit back and relax as we explore the fascinating evolution of the world of technology leadership. Here's the host of the CTO podcast, the founder of Seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin. Welcome to the CTO podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin. Super excited today, Ole Dalarup, the CTO and co-founder at DreamData.io, is joining me. DreamData.io is a B2B revenue attribution platform that connects data from across your go-to-market tech stacks to offer unprecedented insights into your B2B customer journey. And today, Ole and I are going to discuss becoming a tech leader of a fast-growing startup. Before we get to today's interview, here's a word from seven CTOs. As a CTO, you might sometimes feel like you're on an island, but you're not alone. I've been in your shoes and I've counseled hundreds of technology leaders who've grappled with the isolation of an executive role. Seven CTOs is here to change that. We've developed CTO Levels, the world's only career development framework for technology leaders, so you can benchmark your organization against others your size. Our global peer network provides you with support, advice, and the resources you need to overcome the challenges blocking your ability to reach your goals. Ready to level up your leadership skills? Then apply to join our community of technology leaders at 7ctos.com. That's the number seven, followed by the letters ctos.com. Okay, here's my conversation with Ole Dalarup, the CTO and co-founder at dreamdata.io. Ole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking about tech leads. Yes, yes. I always love meeting my fellow CTOs. So you're in Denmark? Yes, I'm in Denmark or Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Yeah. Man, that's one place I haven't been to. This time of year, it's an amazing place. What is a go-to thing you have to do when you get to Copenhagen? Well, I would go to the sea, I'll go out to, to eat. We have lots of great restaurants. So tell me about Dream Data. Just maybe give us some background in how the startup got its beginning. We started, we were working in another data startup called Trustpilot and started drilling more and more into data and trying to understand how did we acquire all our customers. What happened to the journey? Was it just sales that was magical and close deals? And definitely they closed deals, but something happened before that. And we didn't have a very good data insights. So we actually collected the data, but none of our tools could actually have this B2B focus or account-based focus on the data while also linking it to revenue. And we were very annoyed about that and started building that out ourselves using modern data warehouses, but realized that we were not the only ones with that type of pain. And so we quit and started building a company. And uh, well, here we are. The classic found the problem while working for company X and then leaving to start company Y. Exactly. I guess it's a good way, right? You find the problem and you start kind of being interested and passionate about solving that problem and then you can't stop yourself. So tell me, did you start with a group of friends? Maybe is it one person, five people? How did you grow the team? So in this case, we 
started with kind of a, a friend, you could say. Uh, so it was my peer at Trustpilot, um, the VP of product, um, Lars, who's the CEO of Beam Data Today. So we knew each other well and had, had many battles together, <laughs> as you have. And then when we started exploring the problem, our third co-founder joined us, which was a guy we didn't know, but a guy we kind of uh, right away, uh, Stefan, who's our CMO today. We fell in love if you uh, want to talk about that, but like we kind of felt there was a good connection and he understood the problem and was as passionate about the problem as we were. So he joined us and then later, well, we hired people we knew, people we didn't know, like you do, right? But of course, it's natural to call up old friends or colleagues and say, hey, I have this type of problem and I think you could uh, help us solve that. Why don't you join us? Excellent. And CEOing, who, who's doing that? So that's uh, Lars. He was uh, heading product at the uh, Trustpilot and my peer there and, well, close colleague now. I always think that a startup that can start with someone who's product-oriented, maybe a classic product manager or someone with vast experience in product management, is really helps the startup out in the beginning. I completely agree on that. I, I think Lars is one of the, the best product persons in Copenhagen. Luckily, I also have a little bit of product skill. I'm probably not the classical CTO that kind of doesn't touch product. I touch product a lot. And today I'm also kind of responsible for product. I mean, we are very, very passionate about product. We were just so lucky to meet Mike Kagan, if you know him. Uh, yes. Mike yes. Kagan is a very fine, the best product person I've ever met. How did that happen? Is it a, uh, in your network or through Trustpilot or what? Yeah. So it was, so Lars kind of somehow got to know him and went to one of his uh, kind of uh, training courses a long time ago. And then he was like, came back and he was completely transformed and like, hey, we need to change the world type of person. And then I was like, okay, let's uh, look at that. And then we flew to New York and got training from him and asked him out for dinner. And he accepted. Actually, we asked him if he could come and train our entire team. And he said, uh, yes, I think I have time in a few months. Would that work for you? And then, well, we were lucky enough to uh, be able to say yes. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. So you started off as the CTO, I'm assuming, like many startup CTOs, you wrote the code, did you outsource the code? Tell us about that journey. I definitely wrote code and was hands on. I'm still like to be hands on when possible. But in the beginning, of course, more. We didn't outsource. I think in generally, I think it's challenging to outsource the software engineers. And I think there's always a lot of discussion around that. For me, it's not about skills or technical skills, at least. So when we outsource, we can easily hire technical, at least as good people as the ones we can, uh, wherever we sit. It's rarely that. They are also cheaper. That's also true. But the outcome of it is typically not as good. And it's not because they are bad people in any sense, whether technical or like other way or communication problems. I think we have also communication problems where I am. We have 40 people now, 25 different nationalities. So that also gives us challenges, right? For me, it's about sitting next to each other and being able to talk about the problems, being able to join customer calls, understand the customer problems, and really be able to drill into that and solve the right problems, not just solve it in a good way, but solve the right problems. 
problems. And when we solve just a few of the right problems, I think we often nail a lot and we are able to sell the product for more, to more people, move faster. You took the strategy of hiring local developers? Yes. So everyone drives to the office? Everyone drives to the office, yeah. How large is your engineering team? So we are, what are we, 15 people in tech. Okay. So talk to me, is this your first time as CTO? So I was leading technology at Trustpilot, so a similar role, yeah. Okay. And talk to me a little bit about that leadership journey. So I joined Trustpilot very early on as employee number 10. And here I joined just as a relatively mid-level probably to almost junior engineer. I had a couple of years of kind of hands-on experience, but I was very settled on just like learning a lot and working a lot and just kind of growing. So I joined this team and we just kind of hacked and fixed uh, things and we are very inexperienced. Like the entire team is not <laughs> very experienced there. So we just try and solve things and then we read online and try our way. Luckily, that kind of trust pilot gets to hire the experienced CTO. I don't know if he doesn't have a choice, but at least he picks me and kind of uh, takes his, uh, me under his wing and kind of puts me in a position first as a, you could say, a type of principal engineer where I'm like a little bit overseeing all the work, but still hacking and coding a lot. And then uh, one day he comes to me and says, hey, Ole, I think you should just take over reporting of all the engineers. And at this time we were probably training engineers in, in Copenhagen, and we had also training engineers in Bangladesh. And I was like, that's quite a lot of people. And he's like, yeah, I think you can do that. And then I became a manager. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And did you have, at that point, did he look to you for setting up a new team topology, or did you have engineering managers in place, or how did you grow? So uh, I've been part of designing the team and hiring the team and kind of growing. So so I knew people, but I had had a different role, right? So I was not the boss and like didn't kind of make, I made a lot of the technical decisions, but like the team decisions were someone else. So when I took over, I had a team that was no managers. So everyone reported directly to me. And my new ball, like my boss was actually pretty firm that he thought we should continue doing that and then better support me and build things up around me for a while. And I think maybe we can cover this later, but I learned that that's possible, but that's very hard to replicate. All things are possible. I mean, you know. Definitely. It worked out, right? So we kind of everyone reported to me, and then we started building up things and, and kind of building a structure, and the tech leads became a very central kind of uh, function for us. They didn't have a manager responsibility, but was definitely a key role. I couldn't have done it without the tech leads. And most of those tech leads at that time, they went out and became CTOs, VP of engineers, almost all of them. I'm curious, and I think a lot of startup CTOs struggle with this, but did you develop those people into technical leaders or did you just identify the ones that seemed to be the loudest and most opinionated? I would love to say that I developed them. <laughs> that would probably be a, a kind of a border to lie. I hope that I help some of them grow and become better. Yeah, it's such a critical skill, isn't it? The ability to develop the people below you. 
we think about the technical challenges, we think about the business, the f- startup challenges. But really, when you start looking below at your team, the ability to nurture and grow people into leaders is a critical aspect to leadership inside of a startup. It's super critical and it's very, very important and it's very hard. And it's a hard question to know whether like I made the main difference. But I think what, what happened was we had a unique atmosphere and unique culture for Copenhagen at that point in time. So if you really wanted to move with like modern technology and move very fast, Trustpilot was one of the few places where you could join. And so we were lucky to hire very talented people and we could build up a place where they could grow while they get to still do what they loved, code, right? And I think to a large extent that worked well. Then, of course, I also spent time with them and coaching them and talking with them. Whether that made a bigger difference than the rest, I'm not sure. I think to a large extent, what I've seen, the best tech leads are often people who are able to grab the chance when they get it, while being in an atmosphere where there's just a lot of people to learn from. So not only me, right? So there was a lot of other people. There was other good tech leads. There were other good engineers in this team. And so while you created a freedom where you could actually talk with people and you can help people and the guy over in this other team, even though it's not his priority to kind of fix your problem, then he happily kind of spends an hour on the whiteboard discussion at technical challenge or whatever, right? And I think we managed to do that and create that kind of culture. And that worked well. And then I didn't have to do so much. And I think being in the same building probably helps with that a lot. For sure, right? There was a lot of people kind of involved as well. The CTO at Trustpilot at this point, before I took over his role, he was very experienced and had more than a few uh, CTO type of jobs before so he knew people well and he knew to kind of build you find a few good people and then add additional skills so we hired sabina who later became kind of my chief of staff and she was um, she came with kind of hr or recruitment background and so she was very good at kind of spotting problems when we recruited but also very good at spotting challenges in the team before it became a problem and then we could address it, right? And so then I could move, just run very, very fast and kind of fix things and kind of uh, be strategy or kind of fix uh, things, whatever that was burning. That is such a great idea. Something that I think a startup CTO may think, well, I don't have the luxury of a chief of staff or I should be doing these things myself or how can I have an assistant? I mean, that's laughable for me how many CTOs I talk to at your scale or above who still think that they shouldn't be having an assistant. What gave you the awareness and and the personal permission to say, hey, I need a chief of staff? So her title wasn't originally the chief of staff, and, but, but I think she acted to a large extent like that. So originally, she was more our recruiter in tech. And so she was just our dedicated tech recruiter and we needed to hire a lot. Then her role changed more and more into kind of like chief of staff or like the, I think some would also call it HR partner, but I think she was much, 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 much more than that. She was a strategic advisor for me and the rest of the tech leadership. So a different type of role. 
Later, I also hired an assistant. And it was simply just to scale me, right? At this point in time, right, the company was reaching 800,000 people. The tech was 100-some people plus product. There was just a lot of things to see. This was at Trustpilot. Yes. At Dream Data, this is way, way easier. Way easier. We are 40 people walking the park. That part. So at, at Dream Data, do you also have an assistant or not? No. No, we still at a size where where that can't be a priority yet. I do things a little bit different here. And now I also have some of the experience. So luckily, Sabina learned me kind of how to check some of this. <laughs> so that's good, right? What would you say to people as we end off this episode? What are some of the key lessons you've learned to scale as a CTO in a fast-growing startup like Dream Data? In Dream Data... I think the problem is always, as a CTO, you often have to go in, fix a practical problem, but make sure you can hand over that problem to someone else. So fix it well enough so that someone more junior can take it over and run with it from now on. Or make it clear to them when they need to come to you so that you can you don't have to think about it. As a CTO, you cannot be involved too much in, in operations. Then you kind of die. I love that. Again, I think for me, the big takeaway from today's chat is just that ability to say, what are the tasks that I am not good at or is going to prevent me from being accessible to people? Get those moved over to, to some help or learn some skills around having an assistant and learn how to scale yourself. Definitely. Everything you're not good at, get someone else to do it. Great. Well, that wraps up this episode of the CTO podcast. Thanks to Ole Dalarup, CTO and co-founder at DreamData.io for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Ole and I are going to discuss focusing on revenue goals with cross-functional teams. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Ole, you can find the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Ole Dalarup, O-L-E-D-A-L-L-E-R-U-P or visit his company website at dreamdata.io. And don't forget to visit 7ctos.com for support, advice and resources from our exclusive community of technology leaders. If you're ready to elevate your leadership skills, go to 7ctos.com to apply to join our network of over 200 technology leaders that's the number seven, followed by the letters ctos.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to ctopod.com, where we have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your stories of technical strategy and leadership in the C-suite, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the CTO podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media, our handle is 7CTOS on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or if you want to contact me directly, my handle is E-T-D-E-B-R-U-I-N, Ed De Bruin. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of CTO brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button on your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay. That's all for today, but until next time, remember that if things aren't breaking, your company isn't growing.